definitely dying. Yeah. Definitely dying. TM. You've, you've been targeted by some kind of biological attack and it, they're, they're coming for you. Absolutely. Your days are numbered. I finally pushed the Sonic fanbase too far. Oh. <laughs> and they, uh, they got with the... 5% of all people who have ever played games who are dying on the hill of the Callisto Protocol. <laughs> and they've taken me down at last. The doctor says, it's just a common cold. This isn't how I commonly feel, folks. No. Do you commonly have a cold? I don't feel good. I mean, you you are probably currently cold. It's very cold in the UK right now, but I, that, that's not the same as having a cold. Right? I've got my heating on full blast. I got my heating on full blast and I still feel chilly. This is not right. My throat, like, here's, here's how I always have a cold, right? I feel thirsty. Mm. I drink a lot until I realize the drinking's doing nothing and then it's, oh no, I'm getting a sore throat. That's the first night of it. The next day, sore throat all day. Next day, the other symptoms, throat goes away. That's how I've always had a cold. That's how we always have colds in this house. And this is not that. It's been over a week and my throat is still fucking bad. Like inflamed, sore, scratchy, the works. Yeah, but the doctor the doctor said it and the doc and no doctor has ever has ever not been right about anything. We're in the middle of a wave of strep A cases. I've had strep throat before because I've lived in Mississippi. I know what it feels like because it happened all the time. I know what, what strep throat feels like. Fee has had this for two, going on two weeks, looked down my mouth and went, immediately went, ah, <laughs> so something's up. My mistake was when I phoned the doctor and spoke to him before I went in for an appointment, I said, I think it's strep. Yeah. And the moment you tell a doctor you've got something wrong, they will not agree because they know better. The moment I said strep, it was never going to be strep. You, you never tell them what it is. You tell them what symptoms you're having and then you, you leave the door open for them. You go, I've got a very bad throat and there's little white bumps in the back of my throat. Well, oh. The things that describes it. And let them answer the thing. Oh. Yeah. Because they, they want to be the ones to work. It's like dealing with a kid. Oh. You've got to let it be their idea. Wait, you're supposed to let them know about the symptoms? I thought you just weren't supposed to talk to them. No, that's cops. You're thinking of cops. Fuck! Oh, go. <laughs> You've confused boy. cops and doctors again. Oh, Did boy. you try and ask a cop to check out your, your downstairs complaints? I, you know, I, I did approach a police officer last week and, and said, yeah, okay, I'm going to turn my head and cough now. Right, right. You see, that's why you got Billy clubbed. Well, they they did follow through on the grab. No, well, there we so, go. So, I mean, I thought it was, yeah. But, oh, wow, that, mm. All right, I guess I should go back to the doctor. I would. <laughs> oh. I am not happy about the situation. But I tell you what, right, when this strep throat turns into meningitis, I'm going to have the last laugh. Oh, yes, you are. I mean, well, I'm going to have my last laugh. <laughs> I was going to say, you're going to have the last laugh in the sense that you're not going to be able to laugh anymore. <laughs> oh, God. He's, it, I, unbelievable. 
So anyway, strap yourselves in because I'm definitely going to be dead next week. You should say strap yourselves in. I absolutely, of course I did. Yeah. yeah, and I really hope that's the episode title. I, it, yep, it, yep, 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 it will. I spent the past five minutes so pleased with myself, Conrad. It's rare we get such a clear contender less yeah. than five minutes in, but that's mm, mm-hmm. beautiful. Right? Good, good job. Just going to make a note of this right now. <laughs> I'm still on fire. And that's just the fever speaking. hey I I don't actually have one. But this is not right. The throat is my worst one from symptoms as well. <laughs> yeah. So I have been feeling the worst, the actual worst. I have felt worse than anyone else has felt in the country. Ever. At least in the past two weeks. No one in the world has ever felt as ill as you're feeling right now. No. I'm certain that's definitely accurate. I feel like... King Henry VIII's testicles just before he died. Bloated with syphilis. <laughs> I've, I've not got syphilis. Sorry, I just realised I've not got well, syphilis. I, oh, 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 I thought drained, but... <laughs> uh, well, I mean, considering what he had, it was probably drained three times a day at least. <laughs> oh, well, welcome to, to Pogquisition. Oh, hello, We're everyone. Here. We've got video games. We played some of them. We did. We might have opinions on them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I played a couple. Is is that true this week? Do any, did any of us do any any video games? I have to confess. Yeah. I can't hide it. Uh, I've sinned against you. I uh, I've played video games oh. against my better judgment. I thought you were better than this. Right. I I thought better of you. Go on, tell us what you played this week. All right. I'll get the Callista protocol out the way. Oof. <laughs> oh, quite a place to start, huh? Best part of Callisto Protocol was putting it down and saying I've had enough of this. I have seen you very upset about this. It's upsetting. Can I just say, I'm shocked to learn that you need more than telling people your game is like Dead Space. You need more than that for a game to be good. It's so desperately trying to be Dead Space. It really wants to be Dead Space. Its its entire identity is what don't you wish we were dead space? Although the marketing materials look like uh, Death Stranding. Wow, that suit! I was looking at that. I was like, is this Death Stranding? I'll say this: the Callisto Protocol wanted you to think it was Dead Space so badly during marketing that I've been playing a game for the last year called "Is It Another Dead Space?" Every time there's one of these big video game conferences, we look out for. How many dead spaces can we count in this conference? And it all started because of the Callisto Protocol in one conference. Got three different trailers, all of which looked like different trailers for Dead Space. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and from that point onwards, I've just been like, yep, is it? Is it? Ah, oh, it's the Callisto Protocol again. We got more dead space. <laughs> it's not a dead space. <laughs> the thing is, is I, I don't think the Death Stranding thing was intentional. No, it's just a visual design aesthetic thing. It's a result of them coming up with their version of of the dead space rig suit mm. right and like everything else in this game it's like dead space but shit it's just a shitty version of that with a shitty version of the health system that was running along Isaac's spine like now it's just on the back of the neck a bit like a, a prison sort of barcode thing because that's what it's meant to be it's like a future barcode but it's just the same thing like 
there's such a thing as a spiritual successor. Sure. And then there's straight up, like, like there's spiritual plagiarism. Spiritual <laughs> self-plagiarism in this case, because, you know, like the marketing has been so desperate to remind you it's from the makers of Dead Space, but it's every single aspect of it is... It, it, if you didn't, if they they had to market it like that, because without that knowledge, it just looks like the most desperate, cloyingly desperate ripoff. It feels, and like this is maybe not a fair comparison to the thing I'm going to compare it to, but uh, to to the degree, but it feels, it reminds me of ukulele in that it is, it's a spiritual successor, not in the sense of. We thought about the like the ideas that inspired us to make the original thing and try to make something that captured that same energy. It's we can't legally make another one. Yeah. But we're gonna try and like we're gonna take the whole list of things we did and sort of shift them an inch to the right and hope that it's still good. Yeah, it's it's the chestburster scene from Spaceballs, basically. <laughs> like legally distinct, but just the thing. Mm. You know, like they put eyes on a xenomorph puppet and called it a day. And it's basically that. Like, everything... I can't, I can't put into words enough uh, without you actually experiencing it. Like, just how badly it, it just lifts everything from Dead Space and does it worse. From the camera angle to the way the character moves and feels and stomps on everything to the, the, the very lighting... And the colour scheme. It feels like they're trying to reinvent the wheel. They looked at the wheel and went, the wheel works perfectly fucking well. What if we made a bunch of changes to the wheel and hoped it still worked just as well as a wheel as it used to? That's the thing. It's like they saw a wheel and then made a replica out of twigs. I think that they've tried to make it aesthetically seem like it's exactly the same thing, while every single bit of it is just intangibly worse because they can't just have it be the same everything fundamentally feels different everything about it just feels off like camera angle controls the way the character feels the animations are, are basically the same but worse yeah the the health bar on the back of the thing the aesthetic of the menus the aesthetic of the in-game item shop it's all just a a, a facsimile of Dead Space, up to and including a Kinesis module. Like, by the time he got a glove that did Kinesis shit, like in Dead Space, I, like, I gave myself eye strain from rolling them so fucking hard. <laughs> it's pathetic. That's the problem with this game. Like, I, I said in my review at the very end, if I, want, if I made one change to this game, it would be to give it some goddamn fucking dignity it's got such little dignity in that it can't be as good as dead space but so desperately wants to remind you that it is that, that it was made by the creators of dead space uh that that it copies everything but so much worse like amateur hour version of dead space the um in terms of the creative side uh just sort of um aesthetic and then art direction and design like the the enemies are just so pitiful like they didn't even try to match the necromorphs much less uh top them 
they had no other ideas. And I think that speaks to just how creatively bankrupt the Callisto Protocol is, in that they knew they could copy all of the mechanics and the general aesthetic, but you can't copy the necromorphs because they are intrinsic to uh, the style, the story um, of Dead Space. That really would be like copying a xenomorph. So you can't do the necromorph. So what did they do? They just didn't try to be original. They're just space zombies. They're just the infected, with the only real variance uh, aesthetically being how much they look like they're covered in cum. And they just get progressively more covered in vomity cum as the game goes on. It's appalling, the inability or, or just the lack of, of desire to come up with anything more original than that. Then we get to the, the, the mechanical side, which, as I said, fundamentally, it copies everything about Dead Space, but worse. You know, it's got the kinesis, but there is nothing sort of, no environmental challenges with it. It's just really unsubtle, conspicuous spike walls that would have no place literally anywhere, that you just zap an enemy towards yourself and just blow it into a spike wall. And that's about the only uh, um, practical use for it. You've got guns. The game is very melee focused. But you've got guns, but again, didn't even try to come up with anything like in Dead Space. It's just pistol, shotgun, and that's it. Oh. There's more than two guns, but they more or less just fall into the category of pistol and shotgun. It's just different versions of the same fucking gun. And the only real uh, um, um, effect they have on the game is they give you more ammo types to pick up, thus more quickly fill up the most pathetic inventory space this side of Signalis. I haven't gotten to the jump scare yet. Oh. Jump scare singular. Because even though it's repeated many, many times, there's only one. Uh. And it's thing jumps out at you and you button mash while it drains your health. I, I want to say a handful of the leech enemies aren't scripted. The rest is either scripted or is such an ambush you couldn't have seen it coming. Like they're hiding in, in chests and things. So you're going to open a chest. You're going to lose health. There are leeches that jump at you and drain your health while you button mash. Then there are heads on the end of fleshy tubes that jump at you and grab you and drain your health while you button mash. These two things are the same. They look different, but they're just the same. And then regular enemies can initiate a grapple without any warning and without any defense and grab you and drain your health while you button mash. Three different things. The same mechanic. Two of them designed to be jump scares. The only attempts the game ever makes at scaring the player. And if, if anyone on the development team thought that was scary, I am embarrassed for them. It's embarrassing that any of them thought that might be scary. Like, within the first hour, it happens so many times that there's practically a genre's worth. And then they just keep doing it over and over again, back to the well, sometimes multiple times a minute, sometimes t twice in a row. Like, I've got some footage captured of me jumping over a pipe and then immediately being grabbed by a head on a stick. 
the the chomps 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 button mash button mash button mash it's scripted i reloaded to do it again there's no anticipating it then i shimmed through some pipes and was j- immediately jumped on by a leech and had to do the same mechanic it happens so many times and it's so annoying because health is a scarce enough resource as it is and this is a case of the game just helping itself to hit points just thinking you've had enough health now we're going to take some away they might as well just periodically lower your health bar for for all of the the mechanical effect it has it certainly saved my triangle button some wear and fucking tear i i'm just baffled I got to the point where several hours in, like every time it happened, I genuinely wanted to just stop playing forever. It's demoralizing because you're being punished for nothing. It's aggravating because you're constantly button mashing. It's intellectually insulting because it's supposed to be scary slash challenging slash surprising. You can only do it so many times before it's, it's not even a surprise. And the fact that the game has nothing else. I guess you could say that when you're locked into a tight-focused camera for the uh, combat that's clearly designed for one-on-one fights and you get punched in the back of the head, that's surprising the first few times. Then you just get used to knowing that's gonna happen. Why is the melee combat (laughs) punch-out? That's the one big change from Dead Space. That's a choice. They decided to make... Like, really bad combat. It's punch-out. Like, you've got guns. They're sluggish. They're weak. Right. They're designed more for for use as part of a combo. Like, if you hit enough times with your your melee weapon, you'll get a little prompt and can auto-aim and shoot. When and if that works. But that's more or less what they're there for. They're there to bolster the melee combat, which is really, like... (laughs) Oh, God. It's... First of all, the, the, you can't be too aggressive because you will be immediately punished. So it's a really like tiresome routine of dodge, swing, dodge, swing, dodge, swing, just trading back and forth. And it's like that for hours. And the dodging is very much like, like the way it apes Dead Space. Like Punch-Out, the old NES game, but worse if you could believe that. Hey now, hey now, don't, hey now, hey, don't, let's not slander the original Punch-Out. That game remains fucking solid. I'm saying that, like, decades later, doing a worse version of that. That's the problem. That game works perfectly. The problem is it's not contextually in the right place here. Because I don't think there's anything wrong with the mechanics of Punch-Out in terms of combat. You'd think in all these years, they might have, have made it work a bit better or at least matched it. It shouldn't be hard to do a bargain basement version of that because they've done it so much worse, like so, so much worse that it, it, it's beyond belief. So the dodging works the same way, except more rudimentary. You use the the same stick you're you're using to move. The movement stick, you hold left or right. You hold it. The first fight doesn't tell you this. You get told after the first fight, which just makes it more confusing because I was trying to time my dodges that time. 
and fucked up a lot until I was told that, no, 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 you, you just hold it. So you just strafe because you still move. So you're strafing left or right. doesn't matter which direction. Left or right, while the, the camera is trying to focus on the enemy, but, but because you're moving around it, the enemy has sort of been visually shunted off to the side of the screen. Bear in mind, there can be other enemies that have a full range of vision and you don't. Um, that can just, as I said, punch you in the back of the head or grab you and spin you round and force you to look at them so the other one can punch you in the back of the fucking head. But yeah, yeah, so you're moving in anticipation of being hit, at which point the character will auto-dodge. The only time you have to be more on the ball than that is if the enemy, again, with no real telegraphing, attacks more than once in a row, in which case you've got to hold the stick the other way. And that is a bit more time. You know, they swing while you're holding, they swing again, you switch sides, which side you're holding the stick. Mm -hmm. uh, if you hold backwards, you block, but you take damage while blocking, so it's, it's functionally worthless. And that's it. So it's, it's more simple than punch out, mm -hmm. but worse. Right. Which is amazing to me. Because if we, you know, we could have that argument over whether it's hard to do good punch out. It should be relatively easy to do shit punch out. And they can't even do shit punch out. Because that system is so bad. It works great in punch out. It's a one-on-one -on -one fight. Mm -hmm. with um, a combat system designed entirely around dodging punches. Right. This is just garbage because it's the same stick as movement. Yeah, that's not good. And why is it in a horror, a third-person horror action game to begin with? It's not good. Just do a normal dodge like a normal game. It, it's... It ruined my last Friday. I'm sorry. The only time I so much as cracked a smile was when the hundredth fucking grab attack broke my camera and I couldn't move it and I couldn't even aim a gun with it. It was just staring off to the, to the uh, left and I couldn't move it forwards, couldn't see where I was going, couldn't fight, couldn't do anything. That's the only time I bitterly laughed that the worst mechanic in the game also had the sheer fucking nerve to break it. <laughs> I realise this game has some people who have decided that this is what they're going to champion, but it is the crudest pantomime of Dead Space that anyone would, would consider it the, even a, a pretender to Dead Space, let alone a successor, let alone brag about it. it it's beyond my, my comprehension. It's awful. Mm. I cannot. I could. I could have the floor for the for the entire hour and change, and I would not be able to communicate how extreme the frequency of the QTE ambushes are. The sheer frequency. There's there's nothing I can do without you seeing it. Yeah, because I mean that's even an element in Dead Space that. I mean, in Dead Space, it worked because it was judiciously applied. You would have that sequence come up maybe, what, six times through the playthrough? Yeah, it happened a few times. Yeah. And several of the times, like the little tiny leechy things, you could get distance mm -hmm. and shoot them before they got near you. This is 
like I say, half of them scripted and they take your health and, and it just feels like the game is just helping itself to you. Like it, it's just arbitrarily punishing you. Because everything about this game feels so hostile. Hmm. I said if this game was a person, it would be the one that was described as a vicious little shit by everyone it's ever met. It's just spiteful. I hate it. Also, it's got audio logs, but no real story. And I've, I don't think I've seen shitter audio logs. A few vague sentences that don't really provide backstory. They're just reacting to what's happening in the moment. And the, the only reason I can assume they're in it, because they had nothing for it. It's one of them things where you ask, if you had no ideas, why did you do it? And the only answer is Dead Space did it. Yeah. Dead Space had audio logs. But the thing is, is Dead Space had a fucking backstory. It had world building. This is, you crash a ship, you are in a prison. You're in prison for no reason. And then you're not, you don't even spend time in the, the prison to build atmosphere or anything, uh, like um, Chronicles of Riddick. Uh, well, that was the best bit. No, you crash a ship, you get imprisoned. Zombies. Mm. That's it. And I don't mind a game that cuts to the fucking chase, but, like, give me something. And then you, you get audio logs and think, okay, well, this will build up the backstory, and it doesn't. It just doesn't. They're brief. They develop no characters. They don't tell you anything. They're just a couple of sentences of, of pure fluff. No, fluff, fluff gives it too much substance. Fluff is a physical entity. It's not even that. It's gas. Mm. I hate it. I, 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 I hate the Callisto Protocol. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Steph. I, I, I was definitely curious and, and hopeful that, because I'm a big Dead Space fan, yeah. uh, that's one that I will, I'll pull that back out and play it, you know, every couple of years. And have a great fucking time. Uh, so I'm uh, I'm very disappointed to hear that it didn't uh, yeah didn't come out. I hate EA. Sure, I love Dead Space, and I'm a big fan of spiritual successes in general. Yep, I'm not a fan of certain ones, but the concept of the spiritual successor, I I'm into. Um, you know, Bloodstained. I fucking loved Bloodstained, but th- this was I was looking forward to this even after the reviews had said you know. They'd been middling at best. I was like, you know, I don't often think like like the average critic. Hopefully I'll like it. And it, the second fight, <laughs> by the second fight, I was like, this ain't going to go well, is it? By the umpteenth QTE ambush. I, I had a moment where I opened a chest and a leech jumped me and grabbed me and took me from green health to yellow. And then I immediately opened a door and an enemy turned around and grabbed me and took me down to one hit point. From green to one hit point without a chance to fight back. Yikes. Spiteful. Spiteful, hateful little shit. That's what that game is. It's a little shit. And that's my essay. Right. Uh, other stuff we've played this week. Um, well, where do I want to start? Do I want to start on the game that I think is bad but with good redeeming qualities or the game that I think is good but with big caveats and bad things to it which which end do I want to start on today <laughs> well we we just had a, a public hanging <laughs> of a game uh, maybe want to lighten it up as best we can on that because yeah okay I, I f- <sighs> so I'm gonna talk about 
I'm going to talk about Marvel's Midnight Suns, and I've got to give a caveat here, yeah. like before I even start talking about it, which is about a year ago. I played this game in an unfinished state for work purposes, so take any discussion of this game I have with a grain of salt. But also, I'm going to be pretty fucking critical of some some things about it. I don't think they have to take it with a grain of salt. I think it's worth me saying that so that no one goes, you got paid money in relation to this game at some point, therefore anything ah, you didn't say about it. No, I get that. Disclosure. But I trust you. Yeah, I want to disclose that before praising the game and mm-hmm. criticising its fucking monetization. I've been looking forward to hearing about this, actually. Yeah, so... Uh, Marvel's Midnight Suns is sort of sort of XCOM, but for superheroes, but also with a big social link system, and also it's a deck builder. Hmm. And for a game that I'm describing with that many descriptors, it should not work. That is too many things wedged in together. I largely think this game is very good. I want to get out of the way my biggest complaint about it, and I think for you, Steph, like this is going to be a deal breaker. This game has cosmetic microtransactions in it in a full price AAA's game. Yeah, I saw that. But that's not the worst thing. Because I could have maybe put that aside if they only existed in like on the main menu there is a marketplace icon and you can go there and you can you can buy cosmetic microtransaction outfits. If that was it, I'd probably be less critical. The problem is it does something really fucking shady, which is when you're in game, in gameplay, you can go into a menu and ca- customize your character's outfits, including seeing a list of outfits that you can unlock using in-game currency while you're playing. This list also contains, just in the middle of the list somewhere sometimes, a paid real money only cosmetic item just in the middle of the list. So if you're someone who likes to tick off lists and have things completed and not have any gaps in a thing, yeah. when you're going through character customization, if you're not spending money, there will always be one that's greyed out because you didn't spend money on it in the middle of the list. And that's scummy. And like that is specifically like really fucking predatory shitty monetization. Yes. Well, we've done a Jimquisition together on this. Yeah. Like, the, the neurodivergency being preyed upon. Like, that is for completionists as well as, like, people who... Yeah. ...have a neurodivergence that makes them, you know, fuck that. Yeah. And here's the thing. I want to talk about the game as a wider whole. Because I know for some people that's not going to be a deal-breaker. It's going to be something they can look straight past. And for those people, I do want to talk about this game. Because, like, it's a real shame I have to give that caveat. Because the video game itself, while unwieldy and, like, very, like, chaotic in scope, is really fucking fun, and I so enjoy its core gameplay loop. So, it's a game of two halves, and we'll talk about these sort of tactical missions first. You take a a team of three superheroes on a mission, and it is essentially a deck builder. Each character has a deck that is maximum size eight cards, Um, So these are like small decks, but you're taking, say, three characters, their eight-card decks get shuffled together, that's the deck you're bringing on the mission. All of these characters' cards do fundamentally different things in the context of a tactics game that are usually pretty well-themed to the superhero they're based on. Um, Ghost Rider can sort of move enemies around the battlefield by sort of pulling them around with a chain. Captain Marvel can do big energy laser blast that'll hit every enemy in a straight line, so maybe, you know, Ghost Rider can get them in a line so that she can do that attack. You've got 
characters with like portals they can use in combat or characters that are very good at single big damage hits. All of them feel like pretty fundamentally different in how they're built. For people who are coming to this who might not usually like card games, I think that this does a lot of stuff to remove a lot of the frustration that's often built into card games, particularly around consistency of hands and making sure you don't just have a turn where you have a shit hand and nothing you can do. No matter how many cards from your hand you use up in a turn, you always draw back up to your full hand size on the next turn. Uh, so you are encouraged to do lots of things and, you know, you'll you'll have more resources next time. Every turn you have a couple of chances to just scrap a card from your hand that isn't helpful and get a replacement. There's a lot of things there to just ensure that you are never in a position where I just drew a bad hand and there's nothing I can do with it. In terms of the resource system, you have a limited number of cards you can play per turn. It is a fixed number. Uh, this is your equivalent of like a mana system in something like Magic the Gathering, is you can play three cards this turn. Nice, clear, hard limit, except there are ways to increase that. One of the big complaints I often have about superhero games is not having opportunities for you to feel incredibly powerful and like you're just tearing through nothing enemies that make you feel strong. I think this does it really well, in that the game has two core types of enemies. There are enemies with health bars, and there are nothing enemies that have no health bar and a single hit will kill them. And you can use those enemies to often activate abilities to get you resources back to extend your turn. There will be cards that are things like, if you use this attack to kill an enemy, you get an extra card play this turn, or you get to draw an extra card that set these uh, these nonsense enemies up as a thing you can feel cool by just wiping out in one hit, but also allowing you to make sure you're activating these abilities that let you extend your turn. Add on top of that um, things like environmental kills that you can do that don't require there to be cards in your hand, that give you options if you've still somehow ended up with no usable cards in your hand, to still have something you can spend resources on, the whole system comes together really well. It's, it, it is a very satisfying tactics game that, while based on card game mechanics, like, both of them feel equally like they were the focus of the of how the combat system came together, and the game plays really fucking well. The other half of the game is a pretty decently sized open world with a bunch of collectibles to find, and little side quests to go on, and secrets to explore, and crafting materials, and uh, social hangouts to do with characters to build up levels to strengthen strengthen their attributes. I've heard about that more than anything else. Yeah. You're the first person I've heard actually describe what the gameplay's like. Yeah. And, like, here's the thing. The stuff outside of the, the those missions is surprise. Like, there is almost an overwhelming amount of stuff that you can do outside of missions. Some of it is very core to the loop of doing those missions. It's like, hey, you got some booster packs of cards to open to uh, edit your deck, and you can go over here to turn duplicate cards into stronger versions of the, the card you have duplicates of. There's lots of things that are like, mechanically, I'll do some quick stuff between missions before I go back out. But a lot of it is also... I'm going to go have a picnic with Iron Man and talk about guns and stuff, or I'm going to go try and find a secret passage and click on some weird statues. 
I don't know what that's going to do, but I found some statues, and... Like, there is a lot of things that are not doing an XCOM in this, that they are somewhat... There are rewards for doing them. It's basically go do that stuff if you want to unlock the the non the non real money uh, cosmetic stuff. A lot of that is go explore this third person story out in the world. But yeah, the core gameplay is just here's a hand of cards. Use them to select attacks that are going to be specific per character to do a bunch of XCOM style stuff. I really appreciate, like, there's a few things that are that are hallmarks of XCOM that do not make the, the, the move over here that I really appreciate. There's no accuracy system, where there's a percentage chance of your attack not hitting, or a percentage range of what damage it's going to do. The damage on the card is the damage the attack will do and it will hit. That is just, if you use a card to do an X number of damage, you'll do X number of damage, which I just think is a, a more satisfying thing for me personally. I have some complaints about, like, if you go into this as someone who doesn't know a lot about comics lore for Marvel stuff, or whose knowledge is largely the, the Marvel films, this game makes no attempt in its first couple of hours to explain any of what the fuck is going on. It will throw comics versions of characters at you and just expect you to either know who they are, or to be willing to wait a few hours before the game starts giving you backstory. It is not a friendly start. There is a lot of interesting story once you get into it, but like much like modern comic books, it is not friendly to actually starting a story by explaining who any of the people are. Uh, my only other like complaint, and I've not made it to this point in the final game, uh, in, in the released game, but I did go on YouTube and go, is this boss fight the way that it was when I played it like a year ago? And it is. I fundamentally think that the design of the final boss fight of this game is really anticlimactic and fundamentally narratively at odds with what the story is trying to build. I think that it's a game that tries to insert... Okay, I don't feel too bad about saying this much. For a story all about how everyone needs to come together, no one person can save the world... The final mission sure does make every other character useless, and your original character is the only one who's strong enough to save everyone in a way that just feels really like, yeah, that's just a weird flat note to end on. Mm -hmm. But like, the core gameplay loop, really fucking satisfying. I really love playing this game. My biggest problem is just that fucking... Don't put cosmetic microtransactions in a full price game to start with, but if you are going to do it, don't do it in such a way where every time you want to swap outfit, you're presented with an outfit that you can't own unless you pay for it. That's a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's Midnight Suns. If you can get past that, that cosmetic microtransaction stuff, there is a really, there is a very satisfying mechanically game in here, just... Yeah, that that caveat's really taken the wind out of my my sails on telling people to to check it out. Yeah, it's a bummer. Uh, Conrad, Conrad, what have what, what you been playing this week? Uh, I played a horror game called Mirror Forge, and it is it's a little difficult to recommend. I do think there's something there that's interesting. 
it's very rough around the edges to start with. The um, they are they are working on it quite clearly. There have been patches uh, coming in at a pretty rapid clip. But like just to illustrate, there was a known bug at launch where the mouse sensitivity defaulted so low that the mouse didn't work. Uh huh. So, you know, and I, I don't want to be too hard on them because it's a small team and it's kind of ambitious for what this is. The The game is a first-person horror thing that definitely is cribbing Silent Hill vibes. You are a guy who is a doctor who woke up in a field 20 years ago with no memory of who he was, but had like, medical knowledge, so I guess then he didn't have to go to med school to become a doctor? I don't know. Uh, there's some gaps there that are a little weird, but you start passing between dimensions, it, it seems. It seems like there's this sort of multi-dimensional weird tale thing happening. It wastes no time getting squicky with the, you know, the, the fleshy bits, and when you are in that stuff, it's creepy. Like, the environments are creepy. There's some unsettling visual elements. Uh, there are some jump scares. They are, they're fine. I think it does the thing that more modern uh, first-person horror games tend to do these days instead of just, like, the straight-up jump scare. It's the, here's the thing that's moving just in the edge of your peripheral vision when you come into a room. Hmm. And that's good and bad. It's good in the sense that jump scares kind of are lame a lot of the time, especially if not well executed. But also, I apparently have just terrible visual observation skills when taking in a scene in a video game, because I was constantly missing these things that were happening. Like, I went to a corner to go pick up an item. Apparently, there was a big-ass spider there that it, like, tunneled through a wall. I missed it. Didn't see it. People watching my stream saw it. I had no clue. Maybe that's just a, a me problem, but the controls generally feel off in a way that is... when you're. I had to use the mouse and keyboard because the controller inputs weren't functioning right. Um, my left analog stick, it was not detecting movement on the x-axis. Hmm. Yeah. It was weird, and and a pro so I went to the mouse and keyboard, but we, with the mouse, everything has this sort of floaty movement to it that it doesn't feel quite one-to-one -one direct. Uh, there's a real, like, sort of drift in your movement that didn't make me feel queasy, but I could see somebody having a motion sickness thing relating to it, and the lighting was making me a little dizzy at points. Um, it's very sharp, it's very harsh. There are some little minor things that I would definitely be taking a look at here, like the indicator for when you can interact with an object. You put your, you know, your cursor over and your mouse or whatever the indicator is switches to a little hand. I think it's a dot at the center of the screen and then it becomes a hand, but the hand is not, there's not enough contrast. It's sort of a light gray or, or whitish, and then when you're looking at things that have all of this sort of harsh light reflection coming off, it's very hard to see when that changes at points, and you can't always tell what you can interact with. Um, it'd be nice if there was just like a, a tint to that that would make it pop a little bit more. Little things like that 
the writing is fine. While we were playing, I kept making you know comparisons to like Stephen King quality writing, but it's it's not. It's it's Alan Wake quality writing, and I'm not talking about the writing in the game Alan Wake. I am talking about Alan Wake, the character's talent as a writer, because <laughs> there is a big distinction there. The writing in Alan Wake generally is very good, but the writing that Alan Wake does, the content of Departure, the novel he writes in the book, uh, yeah. Yeah. is not great. It, you get it, but it's not particularly solid. The voice acting, when it's there, um, is a bit flat at times. Like, there's just, it's, I want to like this because it's got some very interesting, creepy visual stuff. It has physics puzzles in it, in that you can, certain objects you can pick up and manipulate by carrying them around. And that could be a problem with, like, specific positioning because of how loose everything is and the way physical objects, when you would collide with them, they might, you know, do things. They snap into place, and I, I'm eternally grateful for that because the thought of a loose physics object in a puzzle where I'm having to climb across, like, a board connecting two items in the way that these physics are designed does not seem good. And I say that with a very strong sense of belief because there is a puzzle where you have a board that's on a fulcrum, so it's a lever thing, and you need to walk up it to get to a higher place, and there's a, a box that's loose that you can just stick on one side. Its weight is not necessarily greater than yours. You could actually, walk if you walk all the way up to the top and have it at the bottom, it'll fall off. And... If all of the physics-related object puzzles in this functioned like that, it would be fucking infuriating. But thankfully, they at least account for that. I think I'm going to keep playing it a bit further. I feel like I'm maybe a third of the way through the game. And it, like I say, I think there are things it has to offer, but there are both elements that, on a technical level, probably need to be addressed in some fashion. And then there's other stuff that, like, the narrative and, and some of the other things that are just never going to be able to be any better than what they are, and that we're just going to have to live with that. But like, even some of the puzzle stuff, you have a journal that points you in the right direction-ish. Sometimes it's very helpful, sometimes it's not that helpful. I've also run into situations where I've, like, broken a puzzle in the game. There is one sequence where you have to put together items that you are all over a room in a specific order as dictated by a computer to produce an acid to burn through a thing. And uh, the first time I was in the room, I didn't go to the computer that sets this in motion. I just sort of wandered around, checked out the room. I found a flask. I picked the flask up. I saw a thing on the desk with the computer that very clearly seemed to be a place to put said flask. I put it on there. Then I touched the computer and it told me I needed to put the flask on and it wouldn't progress because the flask was already there. Now, I think they actually had technically tried to stop me from picking that item up in the first place and I just managed to get around it. So it, there's, a, it, there's a lot of glitchy things in it. Also, some of this puzzle, a lot of this puzzle stuff and 
some of this is is down to i think a lot of the tactics the techniques that have been employed by first person horror and weird first person games in the you know after antechamber mm, yeah because we you know i think we can all sort of recall what a revelation antechamber was as a game yep. where you would look at something and then it would shift the environment outside of your perspective in a way that you are just basically teleported to another place this does a lot of that and so that means that a lot of the puzzles in the game are really go into the room next door to get an item and come back into this room to use the item just so we can change the environment on you and do that. Yeah. And it it's fun a couple of times, but then you realize I'm just going into the next room over and over again. Um, and, and so it feels pretty hollow. Like I say, I want to like it. I wish it were something I could recommend because I've been jonesing for a good horror game and callisto protocol was such a fucking disappointment apparently it's not good it's not good let me tell you about callisto protocol <laughs> and and this this again not like hard to recommend i think the price point on it is pretty reasonable though let me see what what are they selling that for 11 bucks so as it goes it's at least at least it's budget priced for an indie and i don't think that that's an unfair ask but it, it's still it, it's still hard to recommend, and I would I, I hope that they continue to patch it and and it, it comes around a bit. Usually, this is where I'd, I'd jump back to Steph and go, "What else have you played this week?" But I'm I'm gonna jump in with one of mine purely because it feels like such a good fit to what Conrad's just talked about. Because I also played a horror game this week about shifting environments while you're not looking. That I wish was a better horror game than it was. Mm. I played The Devil in Me this week which is the latest of the Dark Pictures anthology. Those, like, little mini supermassive games, the little sort of choose-your-own-adventure horror ones. And I really wanted to like this more than I did. This one is essentially their attempt at doing a Saw film, but as an interactive horror game. Not not quite one for one. It is, it is based on... Loosely based on a real serial killer who existed, but who's exploits are probably exaggerated by historical tabloid accounts. Uh, there is a, a real person called Henry H. Holmes, who is alleged to have been a serial killer who had a murder mansion that had shifting walls and murder traps everywhere, and this game takes that as, as, as a true thing that happened, and you are placed in the shoes of a, uh, a group of documentary filmmakers who are trying to put together a documentary about this this serial killer, and they realise their documentary is absolutely fucking shit, and they know it. And they get a call from a mysterious stranger going, Look, this is gonna sound weird. I'm not a serial killer enthusiast, I promise. <laughs> my, my relative who's just passed away was a serial killer enthusiast, and they managed to get, like, a... They have... They privately had money... And they've, you know, managed to get a hold of blueprints of Henry H.'s, um, Holmes's murder mansion, and had built some recreations of it. Would you like to come and see it and film in it for your documentary? And they know their documentary's in the shitter, so they're like, yeah, sure, why not? This doesn't seem like a terrible idea at all. Oops, now we're trapped in a murder mansion with shifting walls and everything's trying to kill us. I like the concept. It requires a certain amount of disbelief because there was a there were a few moments where I was like, 
You're literally a documentary film crew who are making a documentary about the original Murder Mansion serial killer. How are you getting caught off guard by these things? They're literally the MO of the person you've been making a documentary about. Mm -hmm. You've got to be okay with a little bit of that. And it definitely is one of the more railroady of the supermassive games there have been, or at least most transparent about it. And it tries to hang its hat on that because you are literally being funneled towards murder rooms by a man who can make the walls shift and force you to go toward the murder murder trap rooms. Right. But that doesn't change the fact that it is still a lot of, oh, you thought you could go that way, but you can't. We, oh, we closed it. And like, they don't even lean into it properly. There's a lot of times where there's just doors that are locked and you go down a direction, there's just a locked door. And like, if they had gone to the effort of you start walking that way towards a door you see and you see a sliding wall slide in front of it and you're like, oh, I guess I, I guess you're stopping me going that way. That would have at least like felt better. I generally enjoy the writing. I think the characters are really interesting. Even the ones that I hated, I, I'm not going to say I thought they were good people by the end, but I at least like came around to them and was like, I feel like you've been through enough that I I, I, I don't want you to die anymore. Which is an impressive job for such a hateable character. Mm -hmm. The main places that I would set people's expectations for this differing from something like Saw is that it is not about a killer who is trying to teach any kind of specific lesson that is in any way paralleling some aspect of the of the person in the scenario. It's not Jigsaw going, ah, uh, you're too indecisive, so now you have to make a decision. It's, it's not that kind of thing. It is just, I want to watch you struggle and make horrible choices, and there be no good answers, ha ha ha, I'm evil. The other thing that I think is important to note is there are two moments in this game that are the most bullshit moments that Supermassive Games have ever put in any of their games. Scenarios where there is literally no possible way to make an informed choice about how to keep characters alive. There are two scenes where two potential characters, one of them could die, two of them could die, none of them could die. Both of them are complete and utter bullshit that you could not... That there's no moment you could have observed that would tell you, aha, this is this is the right choice to make. Mm -hmm. Like, I want to give one very vague example of one. There is a scenario in which two people are in a death trap. And earlier, you, you can decide which of those two people has an item with them. Depending... If one of them has this item, they can use it to survive the death trap. If the other person has that item, they cannot use it to survive the death trap despite being in exactly the same scenario. The item keeps one person alive but not the other for arbitrary no reason. <laughs> hmm. And, like, I could forgive a lot about this game, but those moments are, like, they are the most transparently... Like, both of them are... If you succeed, you'll look at it and go... Oh, oh, okay. You okay? I'm I'm supposed to have acted on information I didn't yet have, I guess. Mm -hmm. And it's not even like the game leans into it and narratively goes, "Yeah, this person was never putting you in scenarios that you had any way to knowingly escape properly." Like it doesn't lean into that. It's 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 just. Nope, you failed because you didn't correctly guess that this person would make better use of the item for no reason. Fuck that. 
Which is a real shame, because I still had a good time with it. It is a really neat concept that just I can't recommend to most people. If you are really into interactive horror stuff like Supermassive does, and you don't mind having a good time with it, but also being like, I had a good time, but I want to complain about it. If you don't mind walking away from a game with that feeling, it might might be worth a try. I'm glad I played it. I want to complain about it more than I want to praise it. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, that was that was my frustrating time with the devil in me. Yeah, that's a bummer. Yeah. Steph, what else have you been playing this week? Uh, I played Gungrave. Yeah. The <laughs> first one. That's a game, isn't it? It's something. It's not good. No. I mean, it's certainly not by modern standards. No, no. It's so so my my overall feeling of it um, mechanically is it's like Streets of Rage, but with guns mm-hmm. instead of punching. Mm-hmm. Very much got that philosophy of it's really simple to the point where I thought something was wrong with the <laughs> the version I put on my Steam Deck. I was like, it can't just be this. Nope. No, it's just that. <laughs> it can't be this slow with just mashing this button for the most part. <laughs> But it is. Yep. Um, yeah. You've got a, a sort of, you can jump left, right, back, forwards. It's not, I hesitate to call it dodging. Well, you do get a dodge later, but it, it, in, in subsequent games, but you're right. It's pretty much just a jump at the start. Yeah. It's so simplistic that I was like, it was really like the first, most of it, it was really simplistic and easy because you've got a shield like, your health goes down quick, but you've got a recharging shield that takes a lot of damage to to, to play. Mm-hmm. And for so much of the game, the enemies just can't outgun you. They can't chip it quicker than you can kill them all. And I'm like, given how simplistic this is, there is no way they can make this challenging without making it, like, bollocks. <laughs> without pulling bullshit. Like, making it... Making the enemies behave in ways that you, you're just not mechanically equipped to handle. And that happens, <laughs> pretty much, because you're not mechanically equipped to handle anything more intricate than some dumb enemies standing and shooting at you. You move way too slow. Um, strafing is not... It's not practical half the time, because you've got to be locked onto something. And locking on will either get you in trouble with a boss, or it will you're killing enemies too quick for it to really matter. Um, So it's really hard to keep your eye on things and you move ridiculously slow. There is sprinting, but you just face forwards if you do that and can't do anything else. The jumping can get you into trouble half the time. Um, So like the, by the end of it, I was, it had worn out its welcome. And, and like anyone who's ever played it, I guess I love the style. The visual style is, is really cool. You know, it's got established anime um, folks that worked on it and the music is really cool and the the ridiculously, like, melodramatic story. Like, the, the main character's called Beyond the Grave. Like, I admire that level of cheese. But it is a problem. Uh, I've downloaded Gungrave Gore because it's on Game Pass. Hmm. I don't know if I should play Gungrave 2 first. I don't... But then again, the story is so nothing. Yeah, it's it's very, very simplistic. And uh, Gore has a very lengthy, lengthy uh, recap of the events of the two games that you can watch 
Yeah. And that will and it is it is absolutely in depth. It tells you everything you need to know. Okay. Yes, I think I'm going to skip to it because, you know. The other thing that's interesting is that you're going to be in doing that because they made some gameplay changes in Gungrave Overdose that, uh, you know, they, they tweak the formula a bit and gore to a certain extent is more reflective of the original than Overdose, which is interesting. Okay. Mm. But it is, it is a bit faster. Um, it certainly looks better. But I mean, you're, I mean, it's 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 a lot of what you described. Still, it's just smoother and um, and a little bit faster. Yeah, yeah. Like I was talking about the VR game last week, and like everything you said there could be said for the VR game oh, yeah. as well. This series is not a series that changes very much. It it has its one thing, and if you're in the mood for that thing, there it is. Well, and one of the funny things about Gore, and I don't remember if this was in Overdrive or even in the original, but like you can. Uh, it has like like Evil West. The you know you can chain you know dash into an enemy and you know zip across real quick. But that's just gonna get you fucking killed in this game because you can't move for shit. It's not like yeah. Evil West where you know uh, the dodge works really quickly and responsibly and and it will interrupt anything you're doing uh, and give you the range of movement to escape. No, you do the dodge in this, you're probably still gonna get hit. And oh, that reminds me, I mentioned this and um, I mentioned this last week while talking about Gungrave Gore, but I was on a, there's a, a, a train level where you have to clear a section of train and get down between the train cars before you hit a tunnel and die instantly. Mm. Um, I went at great length about this. Um, Steph, you would fucking hate it. You would... <laughs> Fucking hate it. Because because you can fall off the sides of the train. There are enemies all over the place that will do knockback attacks. Uh, there are signs above the train that you either have to step to the side of or jump over. Now, it's nice they'll take out the enemies. I'm just recapping everything I said last week. But the real bitch is when you get to the end of it, there are mines that will, you know, they're like the pop-up, pause, and explode mines. And it, I don't know, if it's supposed to give you an opportunity to, like, melee them, to destroy them, or you're supposed to dash back, you know, dodge roll back real quick, but your dodge roll range isn't far enough necessarily to get away from the explosion. The timing is really difficult, the melee swing is too slow, and there's four of these fucking things, so you're not going to get them all at once. And if one of them knocks you down, you will run out of time before the tunnel hits you. I switched it down to easy hoping that that might make a difference, but not without a lot of faith. I was correct. It did not solve the problem. What wound up happening to me is a mine exploded and knocked me off the side of the train where I glitched and happened to be standing right on the edge on like, you know, maybe a couple pixel width platform on the edge <laughs> yeah. of the train that's not supposed to be there. And I edged my way. Like I sat, and I sat there and went through the tunnel. And I'm like, oh, okay, all right. And then it just kept going and going. The trade sequence didn't stop at any point uh -huh. until I managed to edge myself along to the gap of the trade cars and jump in there. And then it cut seeds at the end of the level. And I was like, well, shit. Oh. And then I've not played it since because I was like, this was such bullshit. I don't feel like I earned this in any way. I I'm, I'm glad to be past it, but... 
I feel like shit, so I'm not playing anymore. Fair enough. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. So Gungrave is a game I didn't particularly like, but I'm glad I played it. I think if you had played it at the time, you might have had a different impression of it. I'd have probably had a kind of view of it, I think. Yeah. But even by sort of, even on the PS2, like, like it's not even as, as responsive, quick, uh, or, or, or um, give you as, gives you as much of um, a fight as a protagonist as something like Blood Rain. Like Blood Rain, Blood Rain really is in that sort of shit tier thing, and I've always had sort of a, a, a fondness for it. But I think going from a game like that to this uh, would be difficult for me. I I I think you're probably right. Now there, I mean, there's a a freedom of movement in a game like Blood Rain that this just does not have, and I think that that is. Uh, I mean, that's a very conscious choice. Oh, absolutely. You're supposed to be a tank. I get that. I think it's fine. The problem with you meant to be a tank is it's fine until the game stops treating you like one. Right. I think that's the problem is the moment they try and make it challenging, there's only one way to do that. And that is to present enemies or or bosses in this case, because rarely is any enemy a threat, but to give you boss fights where they can just move faster and hit harder than you. Yep. Yeah. And, And it just feels... Yeah, it's just shit uh, by that point. I got to the final boss and just stopped. Yeah. Like the big, I'm assuming the big munchy head is is the last boss or certainly like the very end somewhere. I believe so. Mm. It's a pretty short game though, isn't it? It is very short, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, glad I got through it. I will give Gore a try. And yeah, yeah. No, won't be picking it up again. But I am sort of interested in the Gungrave world now. It's it's watch the anime. Yeah, Ser- watch the anime. It's it's really shockingly good for what this is. I'm considering it. Yeah. Uh, Conrad, have you played anything else this week? No, I. That's pretty much it. Uh, for me. I mean, I I played more Pokemon, but like I've got nothing really to add other than, despite the fact that it's bullshit, they removed the the shiny sound effect. I am also really fucking deep in the shiny hunting on this game, and I'm really enjoying it. That's that's my update on Pokemon. I'm still having fun. What about you, Steph? What else have you played? I uh, played two other games. Uh, one I can get quickly through. Uh, Skyward Sword I replayed because oh. it was on sale. And yeah. when I first played Skyward Sword, I hated it because of how much it was pushing the motion shit. And they even had like the, the director at the time being like, I can't even imagine a Zelda game in the future without motion controls. <laughs> All of that fucking bullshit. Which made me sad because back in the day, I had very little patience for motion controls. I still maintain the best use of motion control ever was on the Wii version of um, Twilight Princess. Just shake the nunchuck to roll. That's it. No need for one-to-one movement, just using, moving your hand a bit as a stand-in for a button. Similar to how I always said that a little uh, grenade button on the screen in the corner near the buttons on a PS Vita game was the best use of touchscreen in gaming. I just like, they work better when they actually enhance the existing experience, not when they try and force an experience on you. Uh, and that's the difference between Twilight Princess and Skyward Sword. I played as I got past the the first Girahim fight. I uh, got to the I guess second 
area, dungeony area with bombs and, and lava, I think there was. Yeah. And got I, I just at that point just said, fuck this, put it back in its box and mailed it to Jonathan Holmes. And I said, you review it. I can't be fucked. I didn't even get that far this time. It's still shit. I'm, I'm sorry. It is probably the worst mainline Zelda game. It is fucking dreadful. The forced motion controls get in the way of everything. And it's one of those really bad Nintendo-specific games. I was going to say a thing very quickly. Do you, Are you playing the Switch version or the original Wii version? Switch version. Did you know there is an option for you to play without motion controls? Yes. Okay. And I hate it. No, wor- no worries. That. I was, I, that's fine. I just wanted to check you knew. Actually, I can quickly do that bit. Using the right stick to sword swing is somehow worse. So I, I tried that. Plus, you can't move the camera without using motion control for the non-motion control controls. Like, it, it's just to account for how ham-fisted the motion controls are, the button-only controls are inefficient. So I felt railroaded. And that's one of the worst things Nintendo does. We talked about this with the Let's Go Pokemon games, where they were like, we don't think people will use the motion controls if we don't force them to, which to me speaks of bad mechanics, but I'm not Nintendo. So, you know, you had to use Pokeballs with motion if you had the Switch docked, which, you know, we talked about that, terrible for accessibility, speaks to a mechanic that's not good if they've got a force here. And Skyward Sword is all of that. Like, Combat, like uh, any other Zelda game, swing with your sword, do some blocking. With this, you've got enemies constantly changing their sword directions to turn even the simplest of fights into something longer than it's ever been and ever would be again in the series. You've got so much more balancing on a tightrope, which someone needs to tell, like just game devs in general, like that's not fun. The balancing side to side on a log or a tightrope, like it's been done to death and it was never all that engaging in the first place but it's in this so much because it's an excuse to make you hold the wii remote slash joy con left to right to keep the balance they're just everywhere and again just makes everything slower because he's slowly tight roping along the the moving the bug is about the only interesting thing but that steers like shit uh i i just don't like it i i didn't like it back in the day and thought maybe time would would get me further with it but i I stopped because I just, it's just some of the worst Nintendo tech demo railroading um, for a company that loves doing that shit. Yeah, not, not pleased. I think it's honestly the worst mainline Zelda game, in my opinion. All I will say, still one of my all-time favourite Zelda games, and I will fundamentally never, never be on the other side of that. And that is, that is just, that is, that is one very polarising game that just... It is what it is. I understand a lot of people have a lot of love for it. And it's a shame because there are things it does I'd like. I mean, Groose alone makes me want to keep playing it, but then I start playing it and don't want to play it. I can't think of any game I've ever been more nervous to share my opinions on than Skyward Sword. This many years later, I'm still like, oh yeah, no, either I will get 100% total agreement or worst game of all time and i'm like yeah no i i I see both sides Uh, yeah and i you know i approach it as someone who never has much patience for like 
enforced motion controls and things like that. I really liked them. I really liked those motion controls. I know, a lot of people did. And I, I don't know what's different for me, I just found them really nice. <laughs> I think it just speaks to, I've got very little patience for games that make more complicated that which worked perfectly fine when it was simpler in terms of game mechanics. If you can, if you have to do a series of physical motions to do what a single button press used to do, then I'm not interested. Plus, I've been dealing with a lingering shoulder injury since um, June after I took a double regal cutter in a tag match and poking forward with the Joy-Con to get the fucking sculptures is really aggravating my fucking arm. So that doesn't help, which again speaks to some of the accessibility stuff. Like, you know, I, 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 that's not a disability um, sort of long term, but I have an injury that, that hampers my ability. On, ongoing pain is definitely an accessibility thing. Well, there, there is, I've got tons of that shit, like up the wazoo. Yeah. Hopefully the shoulder's temporary. I don't need it on top of my back and my knees. I don't need it on top of a body that's constantly saying, stop wrestling, you stupid prick. But anyway, uh, there's that. Just quickly touch on a game I actually liked. Yay. Which I played today, got it on the Steam Deck. It's called Void Scrappers. Um, Have we talked... I don't remember anyone mentioning it on the podcast before. No, I don't think it's been talked about. But the name's familiar because of Void Bastards and... Yeah, that's... Yeah, I thought of that as well. But Void Scrappers is... It's another, like, vampire survivors type survivor map kind of thing. Mm. And probably the best one i've played out of outside of vampire survivors it's got the aesthetic of a shooter up like it's just a top-down spaceships in space kind of thing with a lot more bullets thrown at you than something like vampire survivors but fundamentally similar you got a spaceship that automatically shoots it does that really shitty little pellets at first well at least the first ship does um then you get upgrades Uh, specific weapon upgrades and some other passive upgrades as you kill enemies and collect scrap. You only get new weapons by defeating bosses, which um, intermittently come in. And it's just decent. It's just a very decent one. Moves faster, doesn't hit as hard, and doesn't quite have the dopamine effect of Vampire Survivors. Hmm. But in terms of it being uh, very playable, quick-paced, a fun distraction out of the many survivor maps I've played this year now. This one is probably going to keep me hooked longer than any of the others. Again, outside of Vampire Survivors. Uh, I like it. It's got... I've so far had one run where I actually felt like I got powerful. Um, I used a different ship from the main one, which started with a laser and had a little prism flying around it. But if if the laser hit it, it would the laser would blast off in all directions. And then I just kept getting laser weapons and upgrading those specifically. Because you've got like projectiles, which are bullets, explosives, lasers, and orbitals. And they can all be... Passive upgrades can be applied to all of them, but you can also upgrade each weapon individually. And I found focusing on one weapon type is the best. So you only have to really worry about one type of upgrade and stuff. And lasers is really good, because even though the graphics are very simple and the effects aren't that dazzling getting lots of different colored lines just flying across the screen is quite good Hmm. and you can especially with the one with the prism you can really because they also get upgrades very specific to them about to lasers which is interesting like like upgrades themselves aren't 
don't seem to be universal. Like, using the one that starts with a laser, you get an upgrade that can give a percentage chance of each laser you fire spawning another laser, which I didn't see with the other character. So, yeah, I do like it. It's very, again, not as good as Vampire Survivors, although, you know, disclosure, I wrote for that game. But I am liking that one a lot. So if anyone's sort of looking for another um, Survivor-type game, then Void Scrappers is the best one I've played. Um outside of vampire survivors well since we are on the topic of survivors it, it did it did occur to me yeah that i did play one other game this week oh yeah i i played beautiful mystic survivors okay okay can you guess who the target audience is for <sighs> beautiful mystic um, survivors is is this another one of those it's secretly just just anime porn not a secret not a secret Uh, and in fact they have two versions of the game on steam Uh, mm -hmm. there is beautiful mystic survivors and then there is sexy mystic survivors Uh and apparently apparently the uh the players are a little pissed because it's uh like 10 bucks more or something (laughs) for sexy and it they they didn't set it up to be released as DLC. They'd always intended them to be two separate products. So then I even to make a bundle to like discount oh it so God. that people don't <sighs> feel like they're spending too much money buying both the you know the the soft core and the hardcore versions of it. Well, I'll say this. I'll say this. If it's good enough for Pokemon. Hey! <laughs> like, you know, I was annoyed when I bought Violet and realized that it's on Scarlet where the Pokemon get their tits out. Mm-hmm. But other than that, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, 10, the $10 up upsell is really fucking shitty, though. Well, you, you, but you could, you could, yeah. I mean, you could just buy the other one, the sexy one in the first place, and I guess save five bucks by not buying them both outside of the bundle. Oh, I see what you mean. Sorry, I thought... Um, yeah, no. Oh, I thought you meant you could... I like, it was $10 more. Well, the sexy sexy version is $10 more than the beautiful version. Yeah, okay. But they are, okay. They are separate products. Right. And people bought beautiful, I think, expecting the sexy in DLC, and they're like, we can't do that, actually. <laughs> As a survivor game, it's, it's fine. Uh, it doesn't use sprite-based graphics. They are polygons, I think. It's, it's fine. It's, it's okay. Every once in a while when you start taking damage. Oh, he's eating her out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that, that, I don't know what the stills are in the sexy. I've only seen the beautiful, the premise is that you are, uh, there are a bunch of, of these, uh, busty women who are being attacked by monsters. And I guess you are the dude that is sort of going to command their strategy to fight them off. Uh-huh. And 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 then you will be rewarded, you see, for having saved them. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, the uh, first screenshot on Sexy Mystic Survivors is yes. a, a, just a, a big anime artwork of a girl bent over licking the head of a cock while someone <laughs> eats a, a gaping vagina out. Just buried in that gate yeah just just go going for it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah very very sloppy is the vagina yeah i haven't even finished a stage yet i i've done maybe four runs five runs something like that uh but i mean all of the weapons are m- mostly the same um as in vampire survivors just some you know different 
effects and and visuals but for the most part the function is similar has all the evolution stuff i know that there are like little minor differences but I'm, I, if i'm honest i just i don't really care enough to remember them to go into them now it is a survivor's clone it's a slight has slight variations but i don't think it's necessarily better or different it's just got tits out there you go yeah yeah nice i like this one steam review that just says god i'm lonely oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah oh uh, yeah uh, should we should we talk about some newsy things that happened this week? Don't see why not. I think we probably should because we have really been on a tear today. Fucking hell! Oh well, we we we've we've got a few news bits. We can get through some of them nice and quickly. So once again, we got a bunch more news about uh Microsoft and their attempts to purchase Activision Blizzard King. So we'd previously seen rumored uh, and reported that um, Microsoft had offered a ten-year contract to guarantee Call of Duty on PlayStation for at least the next 10 years. So the first bit of news we got was that this was formally confirmed. Basically, uh, yesterday, the day before we recorded this, Microsoft officially came out and said, yeah, we've, we have offered PlayStation a 10-year contract to guarantee releasing Call of Duty on PlayStation for at least at least 10 years. Nothing in here was suggesting that Sony had agreed to that. Specifically, like, speaking to the Wall Street Journal saying that, like, yep, we have offered them a contract that is legally enforceable by regulators in the US, the UK, and the European Union that will, you know, enforce making sure that at least for the next decade we bring Call of Duty to your systems. Now, that got followed up 24 hours later by a very different news story that, like, I've seen a lot of people reading into, and it sure seems like it has some implications. Today's news story... Microsoft agrees 10-year deal to bring Call of Duty to Nintendo if Activision Blizzard buyout goes through. Okay. Yep. Um, notably, not PlayStation. PlayStation has not agreed. Nintendo has agreed to a 10-year deal uh, that will guarantee um, Call of Duty on Nintendo hardware for the next 10 years. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. You know, Sony doesn't get to be all like, oh, we don't get to have Call of Duty if Microsoft takes it, where, 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 and then Nintendo just not get it. Now, this seems totally fair to me. I mean, this sure puts Mike, uh, it puts Sony in a position where it's, the public perception is going to be 10 years is a reasonable agreement, Nintendo has agreed to it. So why won't Sony have 10 more years of Call of Duty? Like, it's putting that pressure out there. I feel like Xbox probably fucking loves that Nintendo has said yes. No, this was, this is all real good for Microsoft. Yeah, um, a company that, like, has not had Call of Duty games on its hardware for years. It's been years since we've had a, a main, like, a Call of Duty on Nintendo hardware. And I've seen a few people extrapolating from this going... Does that mean Call of Duty is good? It now has to get Switch ports, or do Activision Blizzard maybe know something more than they're letting on about stronger Nintendo hardware coming by the next time the next Call of Duty comes? I think those are both possibilities, but also I think we couldn't. We also shouldn't rule out that the uh, Call of Duty franchise is a franchise. It is not a single game. Yeah. Right. So that they could conceivably produce Call of Duty content for Switch that, or for Nintendo platforms that isn't one-to-one. -one. Yes. 
Because to be fair, there is nothing in here that says if we release a Call of Duty on Xbox, we will release the same game on Nintendo hardware. Specifically, the wording is um, a 10 year commitment to bring Call of Duty to Nintendo. Yeah. Additionally, this is not new, but this is not getting rid of something existing. The reply to this from Phil Spencer was also, I'm also pleased to confirm that Microsoft has committed to continue to offer Call of Duty on Steam simultaneously to Xbox, which is not an announcement. It's we're going to keep doing the thing that's already happening. Mm -hmm. But again, it's trying to paint the position of every platform other than PlayStation is going to have this for the next decade. You're the odd one out now, PlayStation. And again, this is a move that is definitely going to position to regulators we have been reasonable. Other companies like Nintendo have agreed to our terms as reasonable. At this point, if PlayStation doesn't accept, that's not our fault. Don't stop us making the merger because of PlayStation. Like, I can see what they're trying to angle this as. Oh, absolutely. It is. It's definitely. Well, the concern is that this is anti-competitive. That, that Microsoft making this acquisition is anti-competitive. And so they are saying, oh, no, it doesn't have to be anti-competitive. Anybody who wants to compete can compete. Hey, Sony, do you want to compete? And Sony doesn't want to compete. Sony didn't. Sony was perfectly happy with the way things were. Yes. And so now they're going, but they can't. It's a bad fucking look to say, oh, we don't want to compete because that doesn't get them their game. And it doesn't address the the antitrust concern that they would really love to shove down the throat of Microsoft. Right. It's They've put them in a, a pretty bad corner here. Yeah. And it already seems like maybe it has worked in that all of the reports saying that this was coming, specifically were referencing the, uh, the, the FTC and their potentially stepping in to do an antitrust. Mm-hmm. So the FTC has reportedly softened its stance and no longer seems like it's going to be attempting to antitrust block this. And it sure seems like uh, that that comes from a report from the New York Post. That is probably a response to this. Like, it sure seems like Microsoft has managed to escape FTC scrutiny by getting Nintendo to say yes to a decade and being able to point at Sony and go... They're the problem, not us. Ah, uh, they're all the problem. Yeah. Should we talk about ways that Activision Blizzard King is definitely the problem? Oh, can we? Yeah. We've got two good news stories this week, both about unionization. I like that. It's, it's, a, it's a good week for that. We talked a couple of weeks ago about how Blizzard was trying to prevent Blizzard Albany's uh, QA testers from um, voting to unionize. That was unsuccessful. The, the vote happened. Blizzard Al Albany's uh, Diablo testers have now formally formed a union. So that that is that is good. That is one more successful unionization story that 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 exists. And then we have another one uh, again to do with uh, studios that that Microsoft happens to own. Three hundred QA staff at Zenimax Studios, which uh, is is that's under Microsoft's umbrella, have just successfully voted to unionize. That's so good. That is really good. It is well, and 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 if anybody, it would be QA. Yes, like and that's just the thing that's that's it's proven across the board. It is the most ground level worker. Yeah, who eventually realizes their position and and stands up for themselves, and hopefully that will then progress to other aspects of these businesses. 
there's something in here I wanted to hit on because it's it's the one thing that makes me kind of hopeful that if the the ABK merger goes through, Microsoft will respect the existing unions. Mm-hmm. I I want to read a quote from um, Communication Workers of America President Christopher Shelton. Uh, we applaud Microsoft for rem- remaining neutral throughout this process and letting workers decide for themselves whether they want a union. There has been a lot of sentiment that Microsoft and Zenimax have been better than most companies in not, you know, doing bull- bullshit union busting stuff. And it it's terrible to have you remained neutral be a positive, but after a lot of shit that goes around, I'm glad that there wasn't too much you know, faffing around trying to stop these Bethesda Arcane id Software QA workers from from having a decent vote. By the same token, yeah, <laughs> I think we should remember the position that Microsoft is in right now. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, they are attempting to perform a massive, massive acquisition on the scale we haven't seen in video games, and they could really not do with the press yeah if somebody's going to get bad press on this it should be the company they're acquiring not them yes and and so i'm sure they're perfectly happy to let activision blizzard take all the bad press and quietly sit back and let people think that maybe things will be different under microsoft yeah and i think it's working for laundering their reputation because i do want to read another quote from that uh from 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 shelton In an opinion piece he separately wrote around this happening, he argued that Microsoft's neutrality agreement with this one particular union, with Zenimax, meant that the merger with Activision Blizzard King would allow workers at Activision to unionize freely. Like, there are already people involved in in places like the Communication Workers of America already extrapolating and assuming this means that Activision workers will have an easier path to acquisition. Like, that assumption is being made. Mm-hmm. Yep. And hopefully that is the case, but we'll wait and see. While we are on the topic of unions... Yes. I did want to bring up and point everybody to uh, Polygon this week published a huge explainer on video game unions, how they are being constructed, why they're necessary, and it is excellent work. I mean, they must have worked forever on this. It is very thorough. It's riveting reading. And I think, for my money, the best part of this is that they have uh, formatted it uh, in a way that it is a printable zine on eight and a half by 11 paper, and Creative Commons, um, the whole thing, so that you can print your own and put them in your workplaces if you work at a video game developer or publisher. Nothing, nothing would please me more than hearing stories about people wandering into a break room and finding a stack of these on the table. Yeah. Like, that would just make me so fucking happy. I love zines. Just generally, I love DIY production of things. I love that Polygon did this and is encouraging people to get engaged and get involved. Um, Obviously, the writers at Polygon are themselves in the Vox Union. And uh, shout out to my good friend Summit, my old friend Summit. Are 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 just a delightful little buddy. Steph, you remember Summit? I remember Summit Sarkar, of course I do. Good man, good man. Summit is is uh is heavily involved in the Vox Union stuff, and 
um, or at least was last I knew. And um, I can't help but think they probably had a hand in this in some way. Thank you, Polygon, for publishing this. Like, legitimately thank you for taking this step. Yeah. A couple of other news stories we can kind of kind of skim over, but felt like they were important to acknowledge. Twitch is now offering something called Shield Mode, which basically is replicating the functionality that about a year and a half, two years ago, people were having to create macros to implement themselves to protect themselves from hate raids. A little late to the party, but I'm glad that this officially exists. It is a single button that you just press and it works. You can set up in the back end what it does. A lot of common features are things like banning messages automatically that use certain words, switching to subscriber-only chat. Um, you can have a lot of these things set as basically one... B press one button, all of them will happen. It is good to know that it exists and you should check it out. It is a shame it took as long as it did for, for this functionality to officially exist. In news that's going to surprise no one, over, uh, no one here... Um, a UK university has done a report that says that loot boxes cause financial and emotional harm to children. They do! I'm shocked! Yeah. This is nothing new, but I do want to point people towards a fantastic uh, YouTube documentary that recently went up uh, by People Make Games that, again, talks about a lot of this stuff, but from a, a very specific perspective. Um, it delves a lot into Counter-Strike Go cosmetic gambling that exists and how Steam and Valve seemingly not only allow it to perpetuate but kind of encourage its existence and that goes into some real depth. It is a heavy watch but it goes into some real depth with people who are now adults who are gambling addicts who got addicted to gambling because of video games and in this case specifically talking about like unregulated gambling on things like CSGO Lotto but a lot of it applies very generally to loot boxes and how it is creating gambling addicts out of children that becomes lifelong gambling problems. Go watch People Make Games uh, documentary. It is fascinating and ter terrifying to watch, but uh, yeah, that is continues to be a, a problem. Some good news. Vampire Survivors is getting DLC. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's it's coming in like a like it's it's gonna be out. I think a week to the day after this episode goes up. It's out on the fifteenth. It has a huge new map, eight new characters, thirteen new weapons, some new music. Yeah, a bunch of new stuff for like two bucks. Good deal. So if you're someone like me that was like, I love this game. I've gotten so much of it out of this game. I want to pay more than I paid for it. You you pay some more for it <laughs> and get some more game. Conrad, do you wanna do you wanna do you wanna talk about your uh, about Victoria Three? <laughs> Just a little bit, real briefly, real briefly. So, because I haven't played the game, I don't really know much about it. As I understand it, it's a political strategy sim. Yes. Okay. So, in Victoria Three. Some players have been um, a little upset yeah. because it turns out communism works really well. <laughs> yeah, it does. Huh. Yeah, this was this was published in, in Kotaku, and they say capitalist playstyles are too inefficient. <laughs> like, the bosses at the top get the high pay, workers get low pay. But in Victoria 3's communist economy, worker co-ops ensure that all capitalist wealth gets turned over to the workers. Therefore, their high purchasing power allows them to spend more money in the economy, which then increases economic demand and higher living standards. 
weird how that works. Yeah, that is an overpowered system. It's just too good. We can't have that. That's... It's an overpowered reflection of reality. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> we can't have reality be this powerful. Uh, so it's 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 pretty entertaining. Now there are there are some flaws. It's not like you know a perfect system, and there probably are some little uh, techno technical bits in this but it is very very entertaining to watch all of these players uh use interface with these systems and come to the determination that the only path forward is communism i love that it makes me very happy but that's not the only thing that's come out of this that entertained the fuck out of me <laughs> yep there is a post on the reddit for victoria 3 titled the path to fascism seems odd <laughs> It reads, I'm just going to read this quickly. The main requirement is just one fascist leader in government, but they don't need to be the leading party. In my case, it was the head of the industrialists with 14% clout, while my trade unions were the leading party and they had 24% clout. Then the journal entry triggered, and it seems like I'm stuck on the road to fascism now. Oh no! Somehow the industrialist leader can command the police to arrest quote-unquote traitors, even though they don't have complete control of the government? That doesn't make sense. There's no way to stop them either. The three characters that are picked to be traitors will be killed off. Sending them to jail still kills them. I have a good parliamentary republic with 97% legitimacy. And it just seems odd that a single fascist with only 14% clout could do this without being stopped. It should be noted... The Nazis were not popular when they came to power. Yep. What they did is they managed to secure themselves some power and then used it to destroy all their opposition. Yeah. This is the path to fascism. It's, it, it, you're right. It does seem odd that we would allow it to happen. It's not that this isn't how it's supposed to work. It is fascinating watching people have these realizations and not have yet clicked the other cog and gone, oh, oh, I see, I understand now. But I, I, well, I do think that there are, might be a few people, a small percentage yeah. of people who might wake up a little bit to how this shit actually works. I really, really hope so. If for no other reason, then it, it seems like a lot of these games have been very Western Imperial- up to now. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've never really gotten into political sims. Uh, Civ is not a thing that I do. I think I tried to play Civ 4 briefly once. Hmm. But maybe I'll give Victoria 3 a shot. I mean, it's interesting. And it's it's a great exposure of just how little the, the sort of wider gaming public understands basic politics. Very basic yeah. politics. Um, I, I'm... I'm so I've been looking at this response and I I keep flipping back and forth between like sheer amusement at those who are confused by what's going on and exasperation at the ones who are denying yeah mm-hmm. that this is at all reflective of real life and usually you know they keep saying well that's not reflective of real life because communism's failed like at every opportunity um and and someone pointed out like well we'll see that happen in Victoria as well once they introduce the CIA <laughs> um, <laughs> like that and then just the people who are now like it's a game it's not real it's a game and like 
No, this... Yeah. The thing is, is even if you ignore the fact it's a game, you look at the way communism works, it just makes sense. Yeah. It just makes sense about, like, like paying people an equal share and them having control over and how that in, like improves the economy because people can spend more money rather than being overworked and underpaid like it it's so basic you don't have to be a dyed in the wool communist to understand some of the utter basics of if more people have money economy do better yeah that's that's literally what it comes down to the issue with capitalism is that if you have the capital, then you get all of the reward. Yeah. You know, but that you have to have the capital. And that's, you know, so uh, let's seize that means of production, everybody. And, and then that's a non-issue. We can all own it. We should all own it. That we should. Yeah. Meanwhile, we're going to have the fucking government whining and complaining that not enough money is going into businesses when I'm about to pay an expensive fucking energy bill. Oh. Uh. Like, I'm, I'm looking at my bill page right now. I've got to make this payment before I forget. And Jesus. Like, that is, like, nearly a grand. That ain't going into the fucking economy. Well, it's going to the energy company, but it ain't fucking... It ain't going to buy golf clubs... For the fucking golf industry whining that millennials killed it. Well, hang on, hang on. Wait, wait, wait. Real quick, though. Where is that money ultimately going? Uh, because uh, you would think that, gosh, if the economic system functioned as intended, that the not all of the, that money would just go directly to the top to the investors. Uh, it, it would be gone, put into the business. Or, you know, they would be in a position maybe to not have to jack rates up because they managed it more effectively and their costs aren't necessarily going to be as affected because they didn't just pay out huge investor dividends and 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 not have anything to work with so you know uh, it's down to the oh we just have an opportunity to fucking soak people on on pricing and just jack it through yeah. the roof because yeah. everybody knows that there's an energy crisis going on because of an invasion like uh, hmm well this is the thing like the biggest reason why energy bills have just suddenly skyrocketed is simply because the government said, you know what, you can charge more. So they did. Yep. Yeah. Like, they call this a cost of living crisis. It's not. It, that implies there is some sort of phenomena that's contributing to everyone suddenly being unable to afford to live. No, it's a cost of greed crisis. We're paying for sheer naked greed. I hate the term cost of living crisis. I use it because it's what people recognise. But I don't like it because it's... Yeah. It lets people off the hook. This is the cost of Tory crisis, if anything. It's a cost of having a Tory government. Yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, people having money that they shouldn't have uh, and, and corporate greed from, from executive types, this is going to sound like I'm just rereading a story we talked about weeks ago, but I promise you this is a new story. This is our last story of the day. Yuji Naka <laughs> has been arrested for insider trading. Twice in a month? Yep, this is not the same story from before. This is a I new story. Yuji, Yuji Naka has been arrested. He has Yuji been re-arrested. Yuji Naka! Hey! He's, goodbye! He's, so he's been arrested a second time for a different allegation of insider trading. I'm starting to think he did something. Huh? <laughs> yeah! 
Yeah, um, there's not a huge amount to say about this other than that uh, uh, Japanese newspaper Asashi has reported that uh, reportedly Yuji Naka knew about a mobile game, <laughs> Final Fantasy VII The First Soldier, and used that knowledge to purchase uh, the equivalent of... Oh, this, this one's at least bigger than the last one he did. £865,000 in stock in its developer. So, like, coming up on a million pounds in, in you know, un underhanded purchases before the game was announced so that he could, you know, do insider trading. Amazing. Yeah, it, it's just, it's, at least this time, the amount of money was somewhat more worth it. Because wasn't it like 15,000 last time? Like, it was like a tiny amount? Yeah, it was something that it was so, it was like silly that you would risk it in their position. Yeah. I mean, me, $15,000, I'll commit some crimes, but Yuji Naka doesn't need to do that. At this point, I look at, you know, nearly a million pounds and I go, oh, okay, so what probably happened is that you did a big one and got away with it for a bit and then went, well, I mean, I can just throw small ones out now, no one's looking. Or you started with a small one and no one caught you, so you ramped the fuck up. One of the two. <laughs> Uh, see, so yeah, Yuji Naka might have done insider trading. Maybe more than once. <laughs> Big surprise, someone who did a, a, a crime might do more than one crime. So that's, that's everything, we did it. It's been a long one, this one. It has been a long one. It has. I'm off to nurse my headache and feel sorry for myself. But while I do that... Uh, the listeners are free to go do whatever they want, including checking out Laura's stuff, which I'm sure she's got some. My stuff? Uh, you can find me at Laura K. Buzz pretty much everywhere. Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, TikTok, Patreon, that's the one that pays the bills. If you if you enjoy the stuff I do, the best thing you can do is just a dollar a month on Patreon makes an, a, a whole world of difference. Other than that, I've got a thing coming up in London. Uh, let me just double check. The, the 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 info so I can I can say the info on Monday the nineteenth of December at the Common Press uh, in Bethnal on Bethnal Green Road in London seven till ten p.m. I'm going to be part of an evening of a bunch of a bunch of authors all all coming together and doing signings and and talks and things. There's going to be a bunch of other authors there. I don't know if I can say who else is going to be there yet, but uh, there will be copies of some of my books there that I will be there doing signings of. So if, if, if you want to come get some books signed and say hello, The Common Press on Monday the 19th, uh, that, that's a thing. What about you, Conrad? Oh, well, um, you can find me at Conrad Zimmerman on Twitter and Instagram. You could buy anti-capitalist propaganda that I make at pinfiltruth.com or audiobooks at conradreads.com. Uh, let's see. Hang out with me on Twitch. Twitch.tv slash ThatConradZimmerman. I'm actually going to be streaming during the Game Awards. Ooh. On Thursday night. So today, if you're hearing this on the day of release, come watch the Game Awards with me. Uh, I, I expect it will be a miserable experience to watch alone. So come and have some solidarity yeah. with other people who are miserable watching it ads. Um, and everything I do online gets supported through Patreon at patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? James Stephanie Sterling. I am patreon.com slash jimquisition. That's of that. I also live stream. I've been on a reduced schedule because of the illness. Uh, Twitch.tv slash jimsterling is where that is, though. Um, my next wrestling date is December the 30th. Uh, that is in Sheffield at the PPW facility where we do Spectrum. 
Uh, but this is for uh, True Grit Wrestling. Uh, this will be the second outing for Queens of the Space Age. Uh, myself and Priscilla, uh, we're going up against Nathan Black and Jack Maxwell, two people who will be familiar, two bastards who will be familiar to Spectrum viewers. Uh, so check that out. Um, my other confirmed date at the moment is February 5th for Sovereign Pro Wrestling, where I will be taking on Shreddy, an actual bodybuilding champion, Mr. Britain. Uh, so that's going to be cool. And uh, that's that. Thank you all for listening. Thank you. Jesus, thank you for listening. It's been a long one. Uh, we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.